Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. Coronavirus free zone right now. We got other stuff to talk about. And honestly, I'm tired of talking about it. We'll get to it because there is news. We will get there. But I'm just kind of, man, is there other stuff we can talk about? I, I assume that there is. I hope that there is. I want there to be. And it is my job to try to find that news. And honestly, the big news right now is that uh, Joe Biden is dominating Bernie Sanders. I mean, at this point, there's no path forward for Bernie Sanders. It's just not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is he's going to be he's not going to be able to pick up delegates. He even thought he might be able to pick up delegates in Michigan. And, you know, um, it, it, this actually what happened with Joe Biden in Michigan last night kind of yet again proves that the uh, that the Russians did not steal the election in 2016. Joe Biden crushed Hillary, uh, crushed Joe Biden in Michigan last night. Now, four years ago in the polling, Hillary Clinton had a 20 some odd point lead against Bernie Sanders in Michigan in the polling average. That is all of the polls together combined. Hillary Clinton was ahead of Bernie Sanders by actually, I think it was 23 points and Sanders crushed her. It was a huge upset that suggested something was not right with the Clinton campaign. And it took the entire Democratic Party mobilizing along with the superdelegates to stop Bernie Sanders after that. It became a very big deal. And Hillary couldn't do it. All, all of the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't get Hillary over the finish line in November. And first they blamed James Comey, and then they blamed uh, the Russians. Uh, they've never blamed Donald Trump, uh, and they've never blamed Hillary Clinton. But uh, this kind of exposes what happened last night, because Joe Biden also had a 20-some a point lead in the polling margin against Bernie Sanders in Michigan, and just absolutely crushed Sanders. I mean, just crushed him and it is very notable and very telling that uh, the Clinton team is remarkably silent today as reporters begin to point that out. Uh, Biden won Mich won Idaho with 49%, Michigan with 53% of the vote, Mississippi with 81% of the vote, uh, Montana with 60% of the vote. Bernie Sanders is going to get uh, North Dakota with 53%, and uh, it looks like in Washington state, it's too close to call, but leaning Bernie Sanders 327 to 32.5% of the vote, 67% reporting as the votes come in. Now, the delegate count for the Democrats. He needed 1,991 to win outright. Uh, Joe Biden's got 838. Bernie Sanders has 675. Uh, that That's a big deal. And you know what a lot of progressives are this morning are they're livid with Elizabeth Warren. They believe as a, if Elizabeth Warren would have united with Bernie Sanders that Bernie would be on the victory's end, and it's not the case. Now, I guess I should give you the phone number here if I didn't do that. 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425. If you want to call in, I'm going to get to the virus stuff later because there is news we do need to get to. It is it is news. But I feel like we, we I think, I, I know we have spent so much time talking about it that other stuff has been set aside and we need to really focus on some of the other stuff right now. 
And there are other big, there's other big news out there as well. I, I find it remarkable, honestly, that in a 24-hour news cycle, Americans know less than they did when we just had ABC, CBS, NBC, and PBS. Uh, the media these days, 24-hour news cycle, single-mindedly focused on a handful of stories, and I don't want to do that if I can help it. Uh, and uh, the big news, actually, in all of the newspapers and on all the headlines today and all the all the TV outlets, Democrats are breathing a sigh of relief that it appears they've completely stopped Bernie Sanders at this point. Notably it's young people who are to blame. Or you can say it's old people who get the credit. But the consistent story for Bernie Sanders is that uh, young people, his coalition, they're not actually showing up to vote. And so now the pressure is building to get Sanders out of the way so the Democrats can go on and unite for Joe Biden. Uh, You know, the irony here is that Bernie Sanders for four years has said that he would build a multiracial a multi-generational coalition that would stop Donald Trump. And he has done that in the primary. We haven't gotten to stopping Donald Trump yet, but Bernie Sanders has built a multi-racial, multi-generational, multi-ethnic coalition for Joe Biden. The suburbs and black voters in the inner city turned out overwhelmingly in Michigan to stop Bernie Sanders. Uh, Asian voters, Hispanic voters, uh, with the exception, actually Hispanic voters are tending towards Bernie Sanders, but it's a 50-50 split. And the only class of people who aren't voting for Joe Biden in, in significant numbers are young people, uh, millennials, and and the 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 older what is the what do they call it Gen Z? I guess Gen Z is turning twenty one technically, uh, and, and is able to vote eighteen to twenty one. But it, it's the the super young who are voting for Bernie Sanders, and it's the the Gen X, the Boomers, and and the the really old people who are turning up and voting for Joe Biden. They're stopping Bernie Sanders. And young people are really upset about it. And the Democrats, honest to goodness, the Democrats are starting to look at this and they're starting to think, why do we bother? These people don't show up. When they show up, they embarrass us. So why should we take them seriously? Now, uh, there are warning signs, though, for this Biden coalition as they move forward. And those of us on the right can look at this and laugh to a degree. Listen to Van Jones. Uh, serious warning signals for the Democrats. I, I think this is a very dangerous moment for the Democratic Party. Uh, you have now an insurgency that's about to be defeated. What do you do with the people that you defeat? There was a hope on the part of a lot of young people they had a champion. You got young people who are graduating with a quarter million dollars in debt. You got young people with a lot of pain, and they had a champion. Mm-hmm. And that they thought that they were going to be able to surround the a divided establishment with their movement, crush that divided establishment, and move forward. Instead, the establishment united and stopped them. Now what do you do? Last time Bernie Sanders got beaten, there was an assumption that all his people were just going to fall in line and vote against Trump. And there was not enough care for the concern and the pain of his base. I think tonight there's going to be a lot of crowing, a lot of relief on the part of the establishment. But keep it temperate and turn. Turn to those people and say, we want to be your champion. Yeah. If you don't do that, you're going to have a Pyrrhic victory. Now. I, there, there- it's, it's true. Now, here's the lay of the land coming forward. In fact, let me go. If you've ever wanted to know where I get this stuff, it's, 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 I don't have any sort of Gnostic knowledge. I'm, I'm not a genius. 
I just I know where to look for this information and be able to relay it to you guys. And there's a great website called 270 to Win, and it's the number 270 and the word 2TO win.com 270 to win. Now, why is it called 270 to win? Well, to win the general election, you need 270 electoral college votes. One of the things that this website does is it outlines the lay of the land. So, so you get a sense of where things come up. Uh, so here's what happens next week. You have Arizona, Florida, Illinois, and Ohio, their primaries. And then on March 24th, all by itself, you have Georgia, the Georgia primary starting in April, April 4th, you have Alaska, Hawaii, Louisiana, and Wyoming. And then April 7th, you have Wisconsin, April 28th, Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, New York, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. The interesting one is Florida coming up next week. Uh, It's got a lot of Electoral College votes, and therefore it has a lot of delegates to the Democratic Party. And right now, uh, Joe Biden in the polling averages has a 41% is 41% to 17% with Bernie Sanders. Uh, that really makes it possible for Joe Biden to consolidate and get a significant amount of delegates there. Uh, in fact, the the pledged estimate at 270 win, and they're pretty good about this, is 150 delegates. Uh, you're putting Joe Biden into um, into thousand uh, delegate count, and it is he's he's just it, he's going to be hard to beat if you're Bernie Sanders. Real hard to beat if you're Bernie Sanders at that point. So the Democrats right now have to do something difficult. Let me. This is the reason I give you the calendar and the lay of the land again. You've got coming up Arizona, Florida, Illinois, Ohio, and Georgia this month. Joe Biden has got to now turn his ship away from Bernie Sanders towards Donald Trump without causing himself to lose primary delegates to Bernie Sanders, while also making himself look like he's the general election nominee. That's not actually an easy task. One of the things that Biden probably could and should do is there's an Arizona debate coming up, and he probably ought to bail on the debate. There's no reason for a debate at this point. There's no reason for the for the Democrats to go through with it. They're not, by the way, uh, the Democratic Party has announced there's not going to be an audience for the debate. Because of the virus, they're not going to have an audience, so it's going to be a moderator with Bernie and Joe. And a moderator with Bernie and Joe is going to be a debate that a lot of people probably are going to get bored with, but it also does this. It doesn't allow either candidate to feed off the crowd. And political candidates, whether you're Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, to some degree, you feed off the crowd. And if the crowd is energetic, you get energetic in the debate. Seeing two septuagenarians on a stage with just a moderator and no one, and they don't ha- neither of them have the energy or charisma of Donald Trump, eh, you're going to put people to sleep. But it also allows Joe Biden to make missteps. I, I want to go back to this audio. I played it the other day. Uh, This is from Helene Cooper. She's a Democrat. Uh, She was on TV. She said this about Joe Biden wrapping up the nomination. It really seems as if, though, everything uh, uh, provided uh, we don't have a major Biden gaffe in the next uh, couple of weeks. It feels feels as if all the the stacks are in his, his favor now. If we don't have another major Biden gaffe in the next few weeks, Biden makes gaffes. Biden has always made gaffes. 
and making a campaign gaffe on a debate stage when Bernie Sanders is there to eat your lunch probably is not a wise thing. I will be curious to see if they actually go through with it. I'll be curious to see if the Democrats actually decide, you know what, we're going to have the Bernie Sanders-Joe Biden race. We're going to have the Bernie Sanders-Joe Biden debate. We're going to have the primary the way it's been. Uh, will they urge Bernie Sanders to get out? Bernie Sanders says he's staying through. Listen, he's a communist true believer. Of course he wants to stay through. But fewer and fewer of his voters are showing up, and the young voters who were his base are not showing up at all. They haven't been showing up to begin with. And young voters, you know one thing young voters like? Young voters like a winner. And if Bernie Sanders is not their winner, if Bernie Sanders is not the guy who can help them, if Bernie Sanders is the guy who can't make these young people look like they're siding with the winner, they're not going to go turn out for him at all. I mean, they're already not turning out for him at high rates, but they're seriously not going to keep turning out for Bernie Sanders at this point. I mean, the guy looks like a loser. And let me play this audio from Terry Moran from ABC News, who was at a, a Sanders event. Right, so here, uh, this is a pretty good turnout for a watch party, which is essentially what it is here in Detroit. And there's undoubtedly a sense of disappointment. You can hear it. Some people talking about the corruption of the Democratic Party, what they see as the establishment getting behind Joe Biden. But most people having a sense, you know, he's run the race. He's run the good race, uh, Bernie Sanders has, and changed the way Democrats think about health care and other issues as well. Uh, the question is, uh, will they vote? Will they fight for a Joe Biden candidacy? Many are very worried. You talk to people, they're worried about what they fear is Trump will slice Joe Biden up in debate because they sense uh, a feebleness, frankly, in, in Joe Biden, as do a lot of voters, as does the Trump campaign. We'll see if that comes about. You know, it's very interesting. In fact, let me, uh, my, my buddy Jason Howerton, let me get on Twitter. And, and pull back up his tweet because it, it it is a perfect encapsulation of what's going on right now with the media when it comes to this. I I wrote uh, my morning piece about this. Where where do we go here? He put this up. Brian Stetler, Brian Stelter, I should say. Brian Stelter. This is Brian Stelter's tweet from last night. Tonight, every like every other night, Fox's primetime shows have been deriding Biden and airing doubts about his capacity using short video clips. Now Biden is speaking live about his primary victories and Fox isn't showing his speech. Here's Brian Stelter from a few from last year. Trump's mental health keeps being invoked by commentators online and on TV. The volume is much louder as of late. That, that was Brian Stelter then. So Brian Stelter last month thought it was, was uh, really a bad thing or actually really a good thing that so many people are questioning the competence, the mental health of Donald Trump. And now suddenly thinks, oh, it's it's only it's a Fox News thing to question Biden's mental capacity. No, it's been going on with Donald Trump, with people in the media for a while now. And now suddenly the media is acting like no one's ever done. And none of us have ever done that. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy in the press. Uh, it, it really is, as Jason pointed out in pulling up these two Brian Stelter clips, it really shouldn't be that easy. And yet it continues to be that easy. Trump breaks a lot of people. Actually, he doesn't actually break them. He exposes their inner core 
for better or for worse, he exposes a lot of people and a lot of members of the media. Look, look at the the media now pushing the 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 coronavirus is a racist, uh, saying the Wuhan virus is racist. The New York Times throughout January and into February was running headlines constantly about the Wuhan virus or the Wuhan coronavirus or the Chinese coronavirus. Now suddenly saying it's racist to use that. Why? Why, other than the communist Chinese complained and Donald Trump's team is doing it to push back on the Chinese? There's actually a reason. We'll get into that later. I don't want to get to the virus right now. Uh, when we come back, though, <laughs> Joe Biden and the auto worker. We need to discuss it, except I can't play you the audio. Well, the governor of Florida has just imposed uh, an executive order, an executive declaration against price gouging. Y'all, I, I'm... I am opposed to the government opposing price gouging. You know what price gouging is? It is capitalism and the free markets at work to control uh, supply with ever-increasing demand. Uh, if you're having to buy toilet paper for $20 and you've already got a stack at home, the odds are you're not going to buy $20 toilet paper. Uh, and there are actually runs on, on toilet paper. There are empty shelves uh, at grocery stores all over Georgia, toilet paper and bleach and hand sanitizer and, and cleaning wipes and things like that as people are stockpiling and they're never going to use it. Uh, and if you got the money, I, I guess go for it. But I, I think that grocery stores at times like this should be uh, incentivizing skyrocketing prices and uh, to keep people from making runs on stuff they don't actually need and are going to waste and, and throw stuff away. We'll we'll get there though. I I I gotta let me let me play you part of this Joe Biden stuff. Um, that is, it's really so. Joe Biden uh, was confronted by an auto worker about the Second Amendment, uh, and Biden, of course, wants to take away guns. He called the AR-15 the AR-14, and then he told the voter he was full of excrement, except he said the word. And of course, uh, the. Fox News has been showing the clip of Biden threatening to to assault the person, uh, cussing him out and all this stuff. And, and the rest of the media really circling the wagon on Biden shows you exactly what we're going to get in, in the general election. The media is going to bend over backwards to try to protect Joe Biden. Uh, here is Kate Bedingfield, Biden's spokeswoman, talking about uh, the situation. So much different tone. I assume he's talking about AR-15s there and getting into a Second Amendment battle with that, that voter. What do you think of that? Obviously, the campaign aide was trying to move him along at that moment. Listen, there is a lot of misinformation, unfortunately, uh, in campaigns these days. We see it from every every corner. And I think what Biden was saying there is, I'm not going to allow somebody to, st to distort my record. I'm going to be crystal clear about uh, where I stand. I think that that's what voters are looking for. I think that's what Democrats want. You know, I think this is, I think it is, unfortunately, Donald Trump has shown us that he is going to uh, try to run a bruising campaign that's going to be largely built on misinformation and disinformation. And I think what you saw from Biden in that exchange is that he's not going to take that. And again, I think that's what Democratic voters are looking for, a straight shooter who is going to be clear about where he stands uh, and is not going to allow somebody to, uh, to distort his record or misrepresent where he is. Uh, he, the voter wasn't distorting Biden's record. He was accurately pointing out that Biden actually told Beto O'Rourke he was in favor of, of rounding up people's guns. Biden actually did that. 
And then in the process, you know, you, you have this campaign staffer trying to shoot Biden away. And again, I can't play you the actual audio because Biden cusses so much in it. We would have to bleep the whole thing out. Uh, clearly hostile to to the to the person. You know what's so funny here as an aside? We got a bunch of people who are saying, oh, oh we, we need normalization. We need normalization. Joe Biden's going to bring us back to to sound, sane politics. And then Biden does what he does, loses his mind, completely misspeaks in, in his argle-bargle, and, and the media's like, oh, well, Trump, you like Trump. I mean, you're defending Trump. How can you attack Biden on this? Well, you are the people saying that Joe Biden is going to return us to, to normalcy. I'll, I'll tell you what's going to happen. The end result of campaign 2020 is that the media trust is like 7% right now. It's going to be zero by the time we get to November. No one's going to believe anything they hear in the media, largely because of the media itself. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Just as a reminder, I did interview Jason Jason Thacker yesterday. Uh, his really fantastic book is out, uh, The Age of AI. It is about artificial intelligence and, and uh, the rise of people's concern about the rise of machines and uh, where does AI fit in the world today and things like that. It, it's actually a very, very good book. And and uh, you can get it if you text the word data to 33777, uh, text data to 33777, and you will uh, be able to, to access his book. Uh, I, I really can't recommend it enough. It, it's a great book. Uh, he's a good guy. And if you text data to 33777, in addition to getting the book, what you will also get is a link to that Johns Hopkins uh, website that shows the spread of the coronavirus. I should note, even though I don't want to really talk about it right now, uh, the coronavirus, we now got more than a thousand cases in the United States. Uh, we've got some serious, uh, serious um, shortages in American grocery stores. I was, uh, I, I got on Amazon this morning, actually, and then the, the Walmart side, and man, everybody is out of toilet paper, everybody's out of hand sanitizer, everybody's out of Clorox wipes, everybody's out of bleach. It's actually really interesting to see uh, the panic buying of people, and you know what happens is uh, people start panic buying, and uh, then once they start panic buying, they, they, um, they cause people who actually realize they're running short on stuff to go try to buy stuff. And then that builds the cycle of people running out. I actually saw somebody yesterday uh, from New York City was on social media saying, uh, I'm so tired of people panic buying toilet paper. What about those of us who need normal buying toilet paper? So that's that's kind of the way it is now. The Biden gaffes. Can we talk about these for, for just a moment? Uh, the media is downplaying the Biden gaffes. And they've been upplaying for four years every Donald Trump gaffe. And now that the Trump campaign is playing up the Biden gaffes, the media is beside themselves claiming that the Trump campaign is, is, is trying to question the mental capacity of Joe Biden. Well, of course they're trying to can't uh, question the mental capacity of Joe Biden. Of course they are uh, because it, it's relevant and it's fair game. And, and let me, let me make some of you mad here and I don't intend to, but, but I, I try to be fair with this stuff. I'm an equal opportunity hater. How about that? Uh, it has been fair game these four years to point out uh, the president seems occasionally to have some issues. 
whether or not it was, you can say calling Tim Cook of Apple, Tim Apple, uh, was just a slip of the tongue, which I think it was. Uh, the media has played that up, though. Uh, the president's an- irrational anger at other people, uh, oftentimes not their fault for stuff, uh, they have fair game. Uh, the president's behavior in general can be fair game. But if the president's behavior in general is fair game, so too is Joe Biden's behavior. And there's a big difference in my mind between the two. And it's this. For all of Donald Trump's fault, and he has many, and we should go on and and be intellectually honest and recognize them, he's got many faults, Uh, Donald Trump's faults have been consistent before he was president and after he was president. Donald Trump has always been braggadocious, he's always been thin-skinned, he has always been about loyalty, he's always been about uh, what he can do for his friends so that his friends can do things for him. He's always been about these things. Donald Trump, if you've ever watched The Apprentice, has has always said some, some kind of crazy things. He's always done this. Joe Biden has not. So if anything, uh, Donald Trump's behavior, it hasn't changed and it really hasn't gotten worse. It's been consistent. And so it was baked into the equation in 2016. The Donald Trump that you are dealing with today is the Donald Trump that was on the ballot in 2016. The Joe Biden that we are dealing with today is not the Joe Biden of 2016, Barack Obama's vice president. The Joe Biden of today is not the Joe Biden of 2009. The Joe Biden of today is not the Joe Biden of just a couple of years ago. There is clearly something going on with Joe Biden. Some people, myself included, have said his campaign has struck struck us as elder abuse in the last couple of months, uh, seeing people... uh, dragging Joe Biden on stage, telling him where he is, the, the, leading him around. Listen, I understand there are a lot of people who really don't like Donald Trump. And I think that Trump supporters who very much like Donald Trump underestimate the appeal of I'm not Donald Trump, vote for me. Because there are a lot of Americans who will vote for Joe Biden simply because they don't like Donald Trump. But it actually is really funny to me to see the same people who for four years have criticized Donald Trump's behavior and and questioned his mental capacity and mental health to suddenly say, oh, yeah, Joe Biden, he's fine. Let's go with Joe Biden. Uh, He's not Donald Trump. Let's go with him. Now, it is also funny to see the people who have given Donald Trump a pass for four years suddenly be like, oh, there's something wrong with Joe Biden. But in those people's favor, the, the, the Donald Trump we have today is no different from the Donald Trump of even five years ago, 10 years ago. Unlike virtually every single person who is listening to me right now, I've actually hung out with Donald Trump. I actually, back in, I guess it was 2011, went up to his office in New York and conducted an interview, uh, about an hour-long interview with Donald Trump. Uh, did a live stream. He A book had come out. Uh, they asked me to come up, did an interview with him. And, you know, the Donald Trump that I interacted with in 2015 on the campaign trail was the Donald Trump of 2011. The Donald Trump I see today in the White House is the Donald Trump of 2011. He hasn't changed. He's, he's certainly gotten older, but he hasn't changed mentally. He hasn't changed behaviorally. He hasn't changed. The Joe Biden of today, one, looks like he's had some work done. And uh, also the Joe Biden of today looks uh, not quite up to the task of being president. And if you think that Donald Trump is not quite up to the task of being president, then surely you got to look at Joe Biden and say, this guy doesn't even know what state he's in. He doesn't even know what race he's running for. He doesn't know who he's helping. In, in just the past week alone, Joe Biden has, on multiple occasions, gotten wrong the state he was campaigning in, which is understandable if you are a candidate for office and you're barnstorming the nation and you're in a new state every few hours. At his age, of course, you're going to get confused. Give him a pass on that one. 
But he's also said now more than once that he's running for the United States Senate uh, as opposed to running for president. He's also now said he wanted to help Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats take back the House of Representatives as if he didn't know uh, that they were already in charge. There is a there there. There is something wrong there. And none of us should be dismissive of it. And I find it incredible how many people are dismissive of it. In large part, they're dismissive of it because of their hatred of Donald Trump. And look, that's fair. If, if you hate the president that much, that, that's totally fair. But if you're in the media, if you're in the media and you've spent four years playing this stuff up on Donald Trump, to do a complete pass of Joe Biden uh, it shows people. It shows people that you actually are dishonest intellectually. It shows people that you are a punk for one side. It shows people you have a team. And that's what's happening right now with these people. That's what's happening right now with the Democrats. That's what's happening with the press. trying out robot umpires for balls and strikes. You know, when a ball is coming 90 to 100 miles an hour, and it may be a curveball and whatnot, um, it's not necessarily the case that the human umpires are going to be able to tell really whether it's a ball or a strike. And oftentimes what we see is TV networks put up the grid to show the strike zone and it goes outside the strike zone and they call it a strike or it goes inside the strike zone and they call it a ball. Umpires are, are humans. Humans are, are frail creatures, so to speak. And they're thinking, Let, why don't we use robots? We'll use robots to, to call balls and strikes. The umpires, can they can be on the field, but it'll be the computers that call the balls and strikes from the pitcher. And there's a, in the drip, drip, drip of these sorts of stories, there's another story that's come out that why don't we have uh, AI judges? Instead of having human judges, let's use artificial intelligence. We can create algorithms on the blockchain fueled by cryptocurrency, no doubt, um, where the, the AI will determine, because the AI is without emotion, it's not going to discriminate against a minority. It'll just hear the facts and process the case in the computer. Guilty. Or I'm sorry, guilty. But you know what's so funny here, just as an aside, a complete tangential thing here is that if you listen to Google employees, they say that you got to have minorities participate in, in writing the algorithm. Otherwise, the algorithm will be biased against minorities, even though it's just an algorithm. Um, so are you going to have to have minorities help write the computer code for the artificial judge, artificial intelligence judge, to make sure it's not a racist robot? How how can it be a racist robot? You know, there actually, uh, there's another story out there. there. Some stores are banning black pumpkins because they say it's racist. I wish I was kidding. And that's actually news. It's news because so many of Yang's supporters decided they were going to go for Joe Biden. Uh, they were going to go for Bernie Sanders, and they didn't. And now, what about Elizabeth Warren? What's she going to do with her supporters? Uh, the Warren supporters are Bernie supporters. In fact, Elizabeth Warren's campaign team sent out a message. Uh, team Warren is Team Sanders. That's what they said. But you know who wasn't Team Sanders? Elizabeth Warren. Where was she? She wasn't on the playing field. She wasn't anywhere. 
she, Elizabeth Warren, decided that she was going to stay on the sidelines and keep her mouth shut and see how this played out uh, with a level of opportunism that anyone who actually has paid attention to the real Elizabeth Warren has realized all along she's an opportunist. She is certainly of the left, but she is more than anything else an opportunist, and that's why the voters didn't like her. Her campaign can double down on sexism. Well, it's all sexism. Y'all, if someone is unlikable, it doesn't matter whether they're a man or a woman. They're just unlikable. It has absolutely nothing to do with her being a, um, it has nothing to do with her being a progressive. It has nothing to do with her being on the left. It just has to do with the fact that she's an unlikable person. And unlikable people are unlikable people, whether they are male or female. Elizabeth Warren has won nothing because she's unlikable. Elizabeth Warren has won nothing because she's an opportunist. Elizabeth Warren has won nothing because she's paid more attention to what people were saying on social media than, than any core underlying conviction. She really doesn't have anything other than growing government. And as much as the media bellyached and tried to make her happen, she didn't happen. And then when Bernie Sanders could have used her help, she sat on the sidelines while her staffers began to attack Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden. Her staffers went for Bernie Sanders. And now where are they going to go? I don't know that they're going to be able to go anywhere except to Joe Biden. And now the question is, will they sit home? Interestingly enough, exit polling from Michigan last night, a must-win state for both candidates, shows that Bernie Sanders, 19% of his supporters say if he's not the nominee, they're not voting in November. 19% of Sanders supporters said if he's not the nominee, they're not voting in November. That's enough to ensure that Donald Trump wins Michigan. This is why the Trump team is so invested in the idea of, of making Sanders supporters believe Joe Biden and the Democrats have stolen it from him. They haven't actually done that, but Republicans played up the sentiment. I can't really blame them for playing up the sentiment. I mean, when you got 19% of Sanders supporters saying they're staying home if Sanders is the nominee, I'd do it. Might as well. And that's going to cost the Democrats Michigan. And, you know, by the way, there, there's polling out uh, that has... Donald Trump leading Joe Biden in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. The three must-win states. The Democrats need to win those states. And Joe Biden's already behind. This reminds me of 2004 with a couple of distinct differences, and, and we should discuss those when we come back. If I can actually reroute myself and, and make you guys hear me on the way out. We're having all sorts of technical difficulties around here this morning, aren't we? My goodness gracious. Um, it's just a mess in the house right now. Um, we've got, let's see here. I have had to reboot my computer twice. While I've been talking to you guys, believe it or not, I've been rebooting my computer because the sound and everything else is, is completely offline. Uh, nothing seems to work. And I'm afraid that uh, I'm going to have to reboot again. And my mixer and everything is broken. So, uh, Jim, down the line, if you can play the outro, that's fine. Otherwise, we just got to go to commercial because everything has frozen in the studio this morning. <laughs> 
Ah, Argle Bargle Blah. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. Y'all, uh, sorry, we, we're having the, the satellites having issues. The, the the connections in the studio are having issues. The computer. It is Gremlin. It is Gremlin Wednesday. I can tell you what it is. All the bugs and kinks and gremlins, that they have no toilet paper and hand sanitizer, so they got lots of time on their hands, and they're messing with the show this morning. Goodness gracious. Now, uh, let's move on from Sanders and Biden and, and get into the president who has endorsed Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville was the Auburn coach. He's running in the Senate uh, in Alabama. Whoever wins the Republican runoff in Alabama between Jeff Sessions and Tommy Tuberville is going to win. Tuberville has a big polling lead, and the president has endorsed him. Now, here's a problem. I understand the president is, is tired of, of Jeff Sessions and doesn't want Sessions back into the Senate. I, I, I totally get that. Uh, but Sessions is actually a better conservative than Donald Trump. And there are ample videos out there of Tommy Tuberville on the campaign trail attacking President Trump for being incompetent, for being bad on immigration, uh, for for opposing, uh, allowing people into this country. If you're, if you're a supporter of, of amnesty and open borders, then you probably uh, are a Tuberville supporter. But if you actually want some immigration restrictions and you want to be tough on crime, then Sessions is your guy. But Sessions is probably now going to lose because Sessions is opposed by Donald Trump. And that is kind of funny to me uh, that the guy who is most likely to support the president and his agenda long-term is the guy being opposed by the president of Alabama. But now the president, I, I understand his reasoning here. I understand why he doesn't want Sessions back. He feels like Sessions betrayed him. He's very upset about it, but conservatives really aren't pleased with the whole situation. Now, I do need to bring you a couple of updates uh, statewide, some things we do need to talk about that are virus-related. I've tried to mostly avoid the virus. It is the dominant news again this morning. The markets are sucking this morning. Um, Philip tells me it's Tuberville. I've been saying Tuberville. Um, Why not? He's from Auburn. I can pronounce it however I want. Uh, so the Dow is down 776 points. NASDAQ is down 203. The S&P down 81. It's another bad day on Wall Street as we are rapidly entering bear market territory. Um, it, it's, it's a problem. The president is coming up with an economic stimulus. We will get there. We will get there. For I'm, I'm sure you've been waiting with bated breath for the fire. I, I actually, I got to tell you. I got an email from a listener yesterday. I am way too accessible to my listeners, and that's fine. Uh, I, I like to. Uh, you know, I you want to know somebody who is super, super accessible to his listeners? Rush Limbaugh. Uh, you actually can email whatever, what is his, his email address now? L Rushbow at EIBnet or whatever. It changes every once in a while. But he actually reads those emails. Uh, that's the, the way that Rush and I actually first connected is I sent an email to that email address, and I didn't really think he would read it. I thought someone else would read it and maybe pass it on to him. And uh, he wrote back, uh, and, and he wrote back minutes later. He was on checking his emails, and that went through. He recognized my name and and replied he does this with listeners and has done it with listeners for years uh, and it's remarkable uh, that, that he's that accessible and that's kind of one reason I do it but nonetheless I did get an email from a listener last night and it was a lady and she said I am really tired of hearing about the coronavirus stuff can you please talk about something else and it's always is you know so just to give you a, a peek behind the curtain here 
I've got my producer, Charlie, who also screens phones. If you call the show, you'll talk to Charlie. Uh, much like if you call uh, Russia's show, you'll talk to Bo Snurdly. And every morning I get up and we have a service that, that goes through and, and compiles all the news of the day and all the juicy sound bites. And I will send those, the ones that I want to Charlie. And sometimes I play all of them. And sometimes there have been days where I've actually forgotten to play any of them. Uh, most days I'll play most of them, uh, depending on what the news of the day is. But otherwise I sit at my kitchen counter, uh, caffeinating myself while I go through all the news of the day from all over the world and build the show, and I outline the show, and, and I want to do this topic, this topic, this topic, and occasionally I'll rearrange stuff before I get in here, and inevitably I get in here, and the topics that I actually talk about are not actually on the on on the sheet. Uh, Philip, uh, who runs the web stuff for me with, with the resurgence stuff, he's kind of the operations director uh, for everything that I do. Philip will send out a, a push alert or an email to the email list saying the show is live, and typically we have a video stream. I've had to turn it off because the internet is also one of the things buggy here this morning, and and he'll typically include the outline of the show. Well, inevitably, when I get in here, the outline of the show is completely different, but I've been really mindful because this lady's not alone. We've heard it from callers. I, I, I hear it in public. I heard it at Publix the other day when I was over there grocery shopping. Someone who listens to the show told me it's really just uh, we're, we're worn out uh, talking about the coronavirus. It, it doesn't seem like that's a big deal. That may be changing in, in the psyche, given the toilet paper runs and stuff. But so I, I wanted to cover all the other news of the day before I get into it. And there is stuff about the virus we do need to get into. Uh, it is relevant, the president's economic plan. We do need to talk about that. But right now, I want you to know the important stuff. St. Patrick's Day is on in Savannah. The mayor of Savannah said they have met, they have considered it, they are planning on continuing the St. Patrick's Day celebrations. Everyone's going to be so covered in alcohol down there, it's probably not going to matter anyway. Um, this virus is going to go to Savannah and say, uh, I think we're going to go somewhere else instead. <laughs> They'll go to Pooler instead of Savannah. Um, but it, it is it is a big deal that the Savannah celebration uh, for St. Patrick's Day is still on. Ireland has canceled all St. Patrick's Day celebrations to try to contain the virus. Uh, and the Masters are still on. Thank goodness. Uh, I am, the what, the Thursday of the Masters? I'm going to be back from spring break for a few days, and I'm bailing on you people to go to the Masters. I've never been, and I'm not missing the opportunity. I am absolutely going to the Masters. Thankfully, it's still going to be up and running. Uh, we hope. We will see. Uh, time could tell. Things could change. But right now, it's all still on. When we come back, we got to get into the Georgia Senate race. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. How are y'all this morning as the markets continue to tank? The phone number, if you would like to call in and be a part of this here program, is 877-97-ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. There is a C and there is a K because it is a glorious spelling of a glorious name. Well, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And no, I don't feel the need to say Tuberville instead of Tuberville. <laughs> Having pronunciation Nazis call in, you're saying it wrong. You people can't say Orgeron, and he's the winning football coach in the nation, and you're worried about a washed-up Auburn coach. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to be insulting Tommy Tuberville. I, I, I frankly, the way the polling's going, pretty soon we're all going to be calling him Senator. I, I don't see how Jeff Sessions is going to 
going to beat him in the polling. The president's just come out and endorsed Tuberville. Uh, the masters, um, well, the, the masters tickets have fallen, uh, 50% in the wake of the coronavirus, And I've got tickets. I am going for one day. I'm going that Thursday. Uh, and so I'm, you're not going to have me. I'm going on, I'm going on spring break. You know, you, I, we are not, thankfully we're not staying at a resort. We're, we're going to the beach and we got a house. And we intend to go and we intend to have a good time. We may have to take toilet paper with us because you may not be able to find it. Um, But we intend to have a good time. And if we have to stay in the house, we have a pool and we're on the beach and we'll be fine. And if we can't go to restaurants, that's okay. We all know how to cook. Uh, We'll be fine. I'm just I, I I feel no reason to scuttle my vacation because of this virus. You got Angela Merkel coming out this morning saying that uh, ultimately everybody's going to get it. Uh, I I don't I listen, and I don't wear. I, I believe me, don't don't change the channel. I'm I'm not going to delve on the coronavirus. Just wait till the next hour on that. But the the people who are doing straight line math on this disease are as irresponsible as the people who are saying it's no big deal. Because it actually is a big deal, particularly if you're over 60, particularly if you're over 80. It is a big deal. But it is also not as big a deal as the people doing the straight line math. There are, And what I mean by straight line math is there are people saying, okay, one person infects two people. Those infect two people each. Uh, so it grows exponentially. So here's where we're going to be, uh, by the end of the end of the month, a million cases in the United States that that's, I, I have read that now in multiple places. There are, are noted supposed experts and PhDs and doctors saying, saying that we're going to have this. Everybody's freaked out about it. Y'all it, the total global number of cases is 121,206 cases as of right now. If you want to see the numbers, text the word data to three, three, seven, 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 you'll get a link to both Jason Thacker's book on AI and also to the uh, coronavirus uh, website that has the dashboard. 121,206 confirmed cases globally, 80,967 in China, the country where it first broke out. They tried to cover it up. They, they completely mismanaged. Now, the odds are it's actually way higher in China. And, and uh, you know, there are some people who think it actually could be a million people in China. And in fact, there have been a number of reports from credible websites of ash clouds falling in parts of Asia, suggesting China is incinerating bodies. Um, eh, but let's look at Western air. Let's look at Western nations and, and see where we are here in Italy. You've got uh, 10,149 cases. Now, 9,500 of those cases have cropped up in the last two weeks. In Iran, you've got 9,000 cases. In Korea, 7,755 cases. Spain's got 2,000. France has 1,700. Germany, 1,600. The United States right at 1,039. And it goes downhill from there. It is possible... To contain this, it is possible to change our behavior, and it is frankly absurd and obscene to me to see people circulating this, a million Americans are going to die of this disease, because it's not happening in any other country. 
Why is it going to happen here? And do these people just hate the United States? Do they believe that we are far less competent than command and control communist powers that got this disease out of hand to begin with? It just it makes no sense to me to see that, and yet that's where we are. Now, we do need to be advised of what's going on. We do need to be safe. We do need to be responsible people. Uh, we do need to understand where the flare-ups are. In Georgia, there are 22 confirmed cases. There were 17 yesterday. So it's clearly growing in the state of Georgia. You know, there was a Waffle House employee in Canton who had to leave work early because they were sick. Turns out they had coronavirus. There's a teacher in Fulton County who had to leave work uh, by, by ambulance to go to the hospital last Friday who was sick. And clearly both were contagious. So clearly it's going to spread more significantly in the state of Georgia. And we do need to be careful. We do need to be cautious. Uh, it is worse than the flu, but you catch it like the flu. So if you're not getting the flu, maybe you won't get this. I don't know. But to say there are going to be a million people who die because of it is irresponsible because that's straight line math. That you're using the exponential curves and, and, and getting there when, in fact, people are changing their behavior. And because they're changing their behavior, that will impact the disease. Quarantines and things like that will impact the disease. Now, it's it's things like that where you got to be responsible, and so many people aren't. They're just out there scaring people. And I think just as much as downplaying this as no big deal is is problem, that's a problem as well. Now, I want to actually move on from this. Um, it, I, we will get back to it. But I, I got to I, I gotta talk about Raphael Warnock for a minute. Uh, Raphael Warnock is the Democrat running for the United States Senate. He is the guy the Democrats tried to shut everyone else out. If you'll remember, uh, Matt Lieberman got in. Matt Lieberman running. This is the the Kelly Leffler race. Matt Lieberman got in to run against Kelly Leffler. He was the first Democrat in, and the Democrats tried desperately to keep him out. He actually had some some very affable commercials. In fact, let me see if I can find one of one of uh, Matt Lieberman's campaign commercials. I, I thought as as much as I'm, I mean, I, I am deeply uh, opposed to the guy. I, I'm not a big fan of the guy, and, and I don't mean that personally. I I mean that. Um, I mean that he's just he's a he's not a he's a far left candidate. Uh, let, here, here's this video. Let, let me just play this video for you real quick. I, I find this somewhat funny, and I, I, it's he's an affable no, guy. They can't come up with any way to do anything. How many different ways can these idiots in Washington? You know, are you serious? A million ways to do nothing. As a single dad, he's always been pretty relaxed and patient. But these days, he's really worked up over how screwed up everything is in Washington. The poor Disney has to hear it. I'm fed up. We're paying these people salaries, the Disney. Pancakes? Oh, what's the occasion? I'm running for U.S. Senate. Ah. Dad might be a first-time candidate, but he's been helping people his whole life. He was a teacher. He started an innovative program to fight hunger and homelessness. He helped launch a local I Have a Dream program to provide college scholarships to kids who couldn't afford it. And he got a healthcare business up and running for families, small businesses, and union members. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's really necessary. Did I mention I'm running for Senate? Oh. And we can leave it there. It was it was very self. Listen, I I have a bias for candidates who are self deprecating. Uh, his dad is Joe Lieberman, and Joe Lieberman, uh, the former vice presidential candidate and senator, has uh, helped him raise money. He's raised seven hundred thousand dollars more than the other candidates, and the Democrats are livid uh, because he's super progressive, and they don't think he can win any more than what's his name, the mayor of Clarksville. Not uh, yeah, um, not not Clarksville, Clarkston. Uh, what's his name? Um 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 um. 
oh, who is the hippy dippy guy, leftist Sierra Club guy who was running for Senate? It doesn't matter. He dropped out. Ted Terry, Ted Terry, Ted Terry. I knew it was in the dark, repressed recesses of my mind. Ted Terry running for the United States Senate. Uh, he was running against uh, David Perdue, running as the far left progressive candidate, and, and he flamed out. No one wanted to give him money. Well, nationally, Lieberman's been able to tap into money and raise money, and the Democrats are beside themselves because they wanted to rally around Raphael Warnock. Raphael Warnock, the Reverend Raphael Warnock, the Reverend is the Reverend of Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Martin Luther King Jr. preached. He is super progressive. Now, I say Reverend because that's his title, um, but he is he is way far left. Uh, he, he is he is a definitely post-Christian when it comes to some of the things that he he says and believes. Um, and he's running for the Senate. And now let me read you the Atlanta Journal-Constitution story. Some Democrats probably should have delved into this first. The Reverend Raphael Warnock, a Democrat running for the United States Senate, was accused by his wife of running over her foot with his car during a heated argument days before he filed paperwork to officially seek the office, according to a police report obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Warnock, the senior pastor of Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church, was not charged with a crime by Atlanta police, and an officer said in the report the medical officials didn't find visible signs of injury in the foot that his wife said was struck by the vehicle. He flatly denied the allegation that he harmed his estranged wife, telling the AJC in an interview it didn't happen. The report about the Monday incident came as Raphael Warnock prepared to qualify to run against Republican Kelly Leffler in one of the nation's most watched contests. Ulay Warnock referred questions on Friday to her lawyer, divorce attorney Randy Kessler. Kessler said his legal team had been working hard to resolve the divorce out of court and are still hoping to do so. It is, let me just uh, say that it is probably not a, a good thing to kick off your campaign while going through a messy divorce. They only got married in 2016. Uh, wow, that's 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 not a long-lasting marriage. According to the police report, shortly after Warnock arrived at his wife's home, they're living separately, on Monday they began arguing about whether Warnock would allow his wife to apply for passports so she could take their children to West Africa for her grandfather's funeral. Warnock told police he had previously denied the request and that he didn't have time to talk about it. He told police that his wife refused to close the right passenger door of his car so that he could leave. He told authorities he began to slowly drive forward, and then he heard his wife accuse him of driving over her foot. The report says Mrs. Warnock was able to wiggle her toes, and the Grady Hospital first responders were not able to locate any swelling, redness, or bruising, or broken bones. So the story here is that the odds are he didn't actually do it. If she, if, if the, the first responders saw no visible signs of injury, he probably did not run a car over her foot. But that he's going through a messy divorce where his wife feels the need to say that he did, it's a problem for the Democrat star candidate to run against Kelly Leffler. And by the way, you know the bigger problem for the Democrats in this race? 
The no-name Matt Lieberman, who's no one ever heard of, he's in double digits in the polling and Warnock is not. So you got Warnock, his wife going through a messy divorce, undoubtedly, like, can I just be, be sympathetically honest with, with the Warnock situation here? Having been a lawyer for a number of years, the odds are she's using this and his campaign as leverage to get a better deal in the divorce. I mean, let, let's just be honest. That's probably speculation on my part, but probably what's happened. Seen it before. Um, it, it, it's an issue. Uh, but, um, yeah, this isn't good for the Democrats that this is their star candidate. The, the person they were going to rally around and he's already floundering in scandal out of the gate. You know what? This is actually a sign of, in all honesty, the Democrats don't have a bench in Georgia. They do not have a bench of candidates in Georgia to run. The only candidate they have is Stacey Abrams, and now everybody's talking about her for vice president, and I don't think it's going to happen. I think she's going to run against Kemp again in 2022. But the Democrats don't have a bench in Georgia, and so they're having to try to find someone. And that, I think, my friends, is going to be their undoing again this year as they try to build a bench and flail around. They've definitely been able to, to put more candidates on the ballot. One of the, the things that the Democratic Party in Georgia wanted to do was get candidates in as many races as possible to start rebuilding their bench. Accidents can happen. Some people can accidentally lose. Some people can accidentally win. That's what they're trying to do. And good for them for doing it. It's actually a good strategy. But they're having to do it because they don't have candidates. Well, this has just happened. Uh, it's actually the uh, breaking news item we should know about. Five left-leaning Georgia groups. They're urging uh, Brian Kemp and the Republicans to shut down the legislature because of coronavirus. Now, now, why? Uh, this, this is this is the thing. Um, a lot of this has to do with the Georgia power situation. You know, we, we've we've talked about the Georgia power situation, uh, and I've had the I've had someone from the Lake Juliet area on, and I've had a Georgia power spokesman on. And l- let me give you the background here: in Middle Georgia, there is a beautiful lake called Lake Juliet, and on the backside of the lake is one of the largest coal power plants in the country. It's also one of the most efficient, uh, but it has coal ash ponds. And uh, people in the Juliet area are finding hexavalent chromium and and other things in the water. These things are known carcinogens. And they believe that it came from uh, the Georgia Power coal ash pond, that the the pond is seeping in, leaching into groundwater. And instead of filtering this stuff out, it's showing up in... uh, in wells. Now, here is there a couple of, of competing factors here. Uh, Duke Energy, uh, or Duke University, actually, not affiliated with Duke Energy, did a survey in the Appalachian region because they were seeing the same thing up there and they thought the same thing. And they found that uh, upwards of 30 miles away from coal power plants, you're still finding hexavalent chromium uh, in well water. And they've been finding it essentially along the Piedmont region where Lake Juliet is. And their interpretation of it is that just like in in the Lake Juliet area here in Georgia, if you dig your well too deep, you get uh, uranium 
in the water. Uh, not making that up. Uh, several years ago, that was the big thing. Uranium was in the water, radon. People were getting cancer in that area because the wells were so deep. They In the Piedmont area, you get things like this, and you get chromium in the water as well. And, and that was the conclusion of Duke University study is that uh, you can't say this stuff is coming from power plants because it's also it, – it when you – in the Piedmont area – uh, with the great granite barrier underneath us stretching from Stone Mountain and the Appalachians, you, you get these sorts of things in these wells. And so there's a dispute as to whether or not it's actually coming. Now, Georgia Power is closing the well already. It's in the process of doing that. Uh, and it's going to cover it over so that uh, groundwater, so that rain won't leak into it and stuff. But there's been a big dispute. And the Democrats have sought to capitalize on this uh, by pushing a measure that they hope can pick off Republican votes and, and turn it into a big issue. It has been overshadowed, though, by the coronavirus. So the Democrats statewide can't get traction on a number of their core issues that they want to use to divide the Republicans. And so Thursday is crossover day. If stuff does not pass out of one house of the state legislature by Thursday night, it cannot get passed this year. And one of the measures is the Democrats' anti-Georgia power measure uh, uh, using the the scare in Lake Juliet. Uh, but there are a number of other voting rights issues and tax issues and things like that the Democrats want to do as well. And the Democrats are being completely overshadowed in their messaging by this virus. So what they've done is politically astute. They're trying to capitalize on the virus and the fear of the virus, and it's spread in Georgia. There are 21 cases in the state to say that the legislature should shut down altogether. Now, uh, David Ralston, the Speaker of the House, has suspended the PAGE program, and they're restricting access to the Capitol. In fact, they're restricting access to the House of Representatives. Uh, people are urged to watch the live stream. Now, Jeff Duncan in the state Senate said the Senate is open for the people's business, and the governor's maintaining that as well, that we're not going to shut down the state government over a virus that only has infected 21 people in the state of Georgia. Uh, the, the, the Democrats are essentially using some mass hysteria here. Let me give you the, the names of the list. It'll be eye-opening for you. Black Voters Matter Fund, Fair Fight Action, Georgia NAACP, Georgia Shift, and the New Georgia Project Action Fund. All of them have ties to Stacey Abrams. All of them are saying there's been a mixed message, and all of them are saying that we got to shut down the state government uh, for this. Can you imagine if the, the outrage of Donald Trump and the Republicans said, hey, we're going to shut down the federal government and, and give the president power to, to act unilaterally while this is going on? Democrats would have a fit, but in Georgia, it's messing with their message, and so they're screaming that we got to shut down the state legislature because 21 people have a virus. You don't want to overstate the virus, but you don't want to understate the virus, but you don't want to capitalize on them, and that's what's happening here. Their message has been thrown off. They had a coordinated message they were planning on deploying before crossover day to try to pick up some votes on some core initiatives. They failed because the spotlight on the virus has drowned out their headlines they would otherwise get from a sympathetic press. And so now they're trying to capitalize on this virus to rebound and postpone so they can get back in the game. It's kind of sad. Well, schools are closed down in Valdosta, the Valdosta City Schools, uh, because of the coronavirus. Uh, a, they're not taking any chances down there. And apologies uh, to those of you in Valdosta if I mispronounce the name of the school, Salas Mahoney Elementary School. A student teacher had indirect contact with family members last weekend who may have been exposed to COVID-19. The teacher and family members have no symptoms, but they are self-quarantining for the next two weeks. 
The school district alerted public health officials of the potential exposure. Georgia public health officials advised Valdosta City Schools that the school employee likely has an extremely low risk of any significant exposure. However, the decision to close the district, which has 7,000 students and 450 faculty and staff, was taken as a precaution. Out of an abundance of absolute caution and extensive conversations with public health officials, Valdosta City Schools will be closed on Wednesday, March 11th, read a statement. This will allow us to clean and sanitize affected schools and buses as a preventative measure. The health and safety of the students is our top priority. The school system officials will continue Continue to monitor the situation and keep our community informed via our school district website, social media sites, and our all-call system. Our response will adhere to the guidelines and recommendations of the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, thus far, 22 cases, six confirmed cases have been in Fulton, Cobb, Polk, and Floyd. More than a dozen are presumed positive in, in Charlton, Fulton, Cobb, DeKalb, Gwinnett, Fayette, and Cherokee counties, all in the metro Atlanta area. Um. And, well, there is this brandishing. I I see that editorialists, liberal editorialists, are very upset about potential brandishing legislation in the state of Georgia. Uh, I I had on Jerry from uh, Georgia Carey about this legislation, Senate Bill 224, and I I want to explain this to you because the media is blowing this out of proportion, as usual, because the media is, as as much as the media is pro-abortion, it's also very anti-Second Amendment. And they are, they're just blowing this up, and it's unfortunate to see because this is good legislation, and it may not pass because of the outrage, but it should. Let me give you, and, and this is um, Jerry Henry from George Carey raised this example, and let me give it to you. You, you see someone who is clearly coming onto your property and means ill to your family or your property. And you tell that person to stop that you are armed and that person continues to advance. So you pull your gun and the person flees. Who has broken the law? In most places in Georgia, by pulling your gun out, and showing it to the individual that you mean business, if they don't turn around and leave, you have broken the law. And in many parts of the state, you can be prosecuted when the bad guy who has not yet committed his crime goes to the police and files charges against you for brandishing your firearm. Put differently, you are less likely to be charged with a crime in Georgia if you pull the trigger and kill the guy than if you just pull out your gun and don't fire it. It's called brandishing, and it is ridiculous that this happens. And now it mostly happens in areas where where progressive Democrats are in charge, and it has happened numerous times in the state of Georgia. So there is legislation pending in the state legislature, Senate Bill 224. It has made it out of committee. It is on the floor of the Senate. It is expected to have enough votes, but it's expected the Speaker of the House is going to kill it in the House. He doesn't want any gun legislation passing other than possibly the uh, the Bill Heath legislation on churches. Uh, but the legislation probably can pass the Senate and, and die in the House. And this legislation would protect homeowners who show their gun to someone they have a reasonable belief means ill intent to them and their property. It makes sense. 
Um, and, and this bill would also, by the way, allow property owners to decide who can and cannot carry on their premises. So this would also solve the church issue that Bill Heath's legislation intends to solve. There, there's a problem, though, and, and there is a problem over whether or not this legislation can pass. Now, I've supported Georgia Kerry is opposed to Bill Heath's uh, Senate Bill 357. I support it in large part because I actually I've talked to enough members of the legislature. They're pretty sure that David Ralston's going to kill this in the House. Uh, the the Senate Bill 224, but that he may let 357 go through because there is a big movement of churches to support it. And, and the whole issue is Senate Bill 224 would essentially get rid of the state regulating churches as anything other than private property. Right now, churches are regulated like other other businesses, and it's an all-or-nothing concept with them. You either let people bring their gun in or you don't. And churches would like to say, no, we want the deacons to carry, but no one else, or we want the members to carry and not the visitors, things like that. And, and they want to be able to do it without having to post signs everywhere saying, Can't, don't come in with your gun or come in with your gun or whatever. And that's what 357 would do. 224 would resolve some of those issues, but the signage issue could potentially be a problem. Uh, 224 may not pass, but I think the brandishing component of it is sound. Because there are cases in Georgia where homeowners do pull out their gun to show to someone who they believe means them harm, and the homeowner gets in trouble, not the bad guy. And that's a problem. Uh, one of the other interesting pieces of legislation I'm actually really interested in, uh, let me pull this up, is... The beer and wine sales in Georgia, uh, it is, it's Brett Harrell uh, is the sponsor. He's in Snellville. The, right now, so there are, in different parts of Georgia, there is uh, Instacart is one of the home grocery delivery services. And there are several home grocery delivery services. Now, we actually used it at our house. I've only used it once. Uh, we've got it at our local grocery store. Our local Publix uses it. Uh, I think the Kroger does too, but don't hold me to that one. I know the Publix does. Uh, and you can go into their website, and they they are patched into the database of the local Publix and can tell you what's in stock and what's not, and uh, you can get your orders in from them, and, and it's fantastic. And so you get your orders in, and they deliver your groceries to you, but they cannot deliver beer and wine from a grocery store. They can't deliver beer and wine from the grocery store because home delivery of alcoholic beverages is illegal in Georgia. So House Bill 874, authored by Brett Harrell from Snellville, would allow the home delivery of beer and wine. If you put it on your grocery list and use one of these home grocery delivery services, you'd be able to get your beer and your wine too. I wonder if they're going to exclude Corona. <laughs> Um, nonetheless, uh, yeah, so the, the way the legislation would work is that a 21, if you have beer and wine, a 21 year old would have to be at the house to sign for delivery and would have to be able to show proof of age. Now, the question is, how do you enforce this? I don't know. There are some Republicans who are complaining about it, saying that this would allow teenagers to be throwing um, parties with alcohol at home when the mom and dad's away because they'll just they'll they'll bribe the Instacart person or what have you, and, and the Instacart person won't care. Who knows? Maybe so. I mean, that, 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 that's a real possibility, but I'm kind of okay. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. Um, and, and I, I don't see a problem with, if we're going to allow people to deliver groceries, might as well let them deliver all the groceries. We're not delivering uh liquor. It's just beer and wine that you can get from the grocery store. Personally, you know, I'm from Louisiana. Uh, 
And I was actually kind of shocked when I came to Georgia to go to Mercer that you couldn't buy liquor in the grocery store. I know, I know, I know. But uh, you go to Louisiana and, and the liquor store is the grocery store. You go to your local Winn-Dixie or you go to your local Walmart or you go to your 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 local, they have an Albertsons is a big chain there, um, which is a fantastic grocery store. Uh, and you can you can buy liquor at the grocery store. Uh, and you can't hear in California as well. You can now. There are still standalone liquor stores even in Louisiana because you, I mean you're not going to get the good stuff at the local grocery store. You're going to have to go to the designated uh, liquor store because of the margins and whatnot. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I I've always kind of been been amazed in Georgia that you don't actually sell liquor in the grocery store. But uh, now actually I, I've got to say when I go back to Louisiana, having lived in in Georgia now for more than 20 years. It actually is kind of a, a, oh, I forgot they do that here. Of course, in Louisiana, you have drive through liquor stores. Uh, you've got drive through daiquiri shops in Louisiana. As long as you put the, the put the lid on on the way home, and I'm using air quotes there. You can't see it, but I am. Uh, you're, you're okay. It, it's just, it's, but I'm I'm okay with home delivery of beer and wine from the grocery store when it's part of your grocery list. Maybe they need to put in an exclusion that you also have to like 60% of the stuff that you're buying has to be food or some such. I don't know, but I don't really have a problem with it. We're just also ninny state, aren't we? It's not even nanny state. It's ninny state. It's just all the outrage. Now, shall we move on to other things? There is a tax cut in the works. And the tax cut is not a real tax cut. And I need to explain this one to you. And I don't want to, you know, a, a buddy of mine actually texted me the other day. He says, I'm really tired of hearing about the coronavirus. And I'm really tired of hearing you talk about the speaker. Well, both are relevant because they're in the news and the speakers in the news here because the speaker of the house has been able to pass a budget out of the house of representatives that is the largest spending package in Georgia history. It comes with a tax cut for Georgians and it does not come with the teacher pay raise governor Kemp wanted. And the speaker is doing this on purpose as political payback to the governor. He also pushed forward legislation under the House that guts the, the governor's ability uh, to set revenue projections for the budget. Now, if you don't know what this is, uh, in Georgia, the governor provides the revenue projections to the state legislature that will be used for the budget. And it is something that the governors in Georgia, it is a power the governors in Georgia have used repeatedly uh, to prevent the legislature from overspending. And the speaker, with a veto-proof majority in the House, by the way, was able to pass legislation repealing the governor's ability to set the budget projections for budgeting. And the grounds he uses, frankly, are sound. It is the House of Representatives that actually initiates uh, budgeting in the state by tradition and also raises taxes by law. And so it should be the one to have these revenue projections. And this is a power play for the speaker to do a, a power grab against the governor. But in the process, what the speaker's decided to do is pit uh, Georgians, particularly upper-income Georgians, against teachers. The speaker wants to give everyone a tax cut, and the tax cut will actually benefit upper-income Georgians more than lower-income Georgians, and he also doesn't want to give teachers the pay raise the governor promised them. But in so doing, I think the optics of this are bad for the speaker because he wants to spend more in his budget than any Georgia budget has ever spent, while also doing the tax cut and also denying teachers the pay raise. 
So in other words, we can spend more than we've ever spent before and give a tax cut, but we can't actually raise the pay of teachers. And that's a problem. The governor is going to veto the budget if it comes through like that. It, 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 the, what the speaker is trying to do here is set up a budget crisis. And it's abundantly obvious at this point that the speaker and the governor do not get along. Uh, the speaker backed Casey Cagle behind the scenes. And uh, he is alleged. I shouldn't say that. I, I don't know that for certain. But I've heard it from enough people in the state legislature. They believe it. it's the, the North Georgia thing. They call it the, what is the Gainesville Mafia. They call it. I find that very funny. There's no there's no mafia of people in Gainesville. Uh, interestingly enough, Doug Collins has lost a number of those same people to Kelly Leffler. And I'm told that even Nathan Deal encouraged Doug Collins not to run against Kelly Leffler. But nonetheless, there, there's this idea that there's a group of rich people up in Gainesville who control state party politics in the Republican Party. And, and they're, they they back the Casey Cagle and they back uh, David Ralston and they keep losing to Brian Kemp and they kind of hate it. And so they're setting up this 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 feud. And that's not really what's going on here. It's just the, the speaker is trying to consolidate power at a time that the speaker's power is weakening and at a time that the governor, the lieutenant governor and a number of Republicans in the state house are thinking it's time for the speaker to go. Well, the speaker is now trying to take advantage of some of the infighting within the Republican Party and the instability in the party to try to consolidate his power to ensure that he's not ousted. And part of that comes with greater control over the budget. If the speaker can get greater control over the budget, he can punish people who don't support him more readily, and he can also support those who support him more readily. This is power politics. Unfortunately, the teachers in the state of Georgia are the ones being held hostage to this. Uh, a number of Republicans, including David Clark, uh, a state representative in the Gwinnett County area, voted against the budget because it didn't give teachers the pay raise. And Clark's reasoning is that while he supports tax cuts, they just did a tax cut. And right now they've been promising teachers pay raises for a decade. Governor Kemp finally gave them a pay raise, but only half of what he wanted and told them they would get the other half this year. And now they don't want to do the pay raise. And that's a problem. It's breaking promises. And so you've got a number of Republicans in the legislature saying this is a non-starter. Uh, I, I'm going to be interested to see where this goes when it gets to the state Senate, what they do, because Jeff Duncan has largely been supportive of Brian Kemp when it comes to teacher pay raises. Now, if they can do the tax cut in the pay raise, that's fine, but they're going to have to cut money from something else. And the speaker just flat out does not want to give teachers pay raises right now. And that may actually come back to bite him. Hello there. The phone number, if you would like to call in and be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We're going to have the the lieutenant governor here tomorrow. Jeff Duncan is going to join me, uh, and, and we will we will talk a little more about all uh, this uh, stuff that's going on with shutting down the Capitol. Crossover day is tomorrow. Uh, we'll pay attention to that. I want to I want to play some audio. This is one of my pet peeves in journalism right now, and I want to play you some audio. This is Joe Biden audio. He was on MSNBC. And he was talking to Larry O'Donnell. And I just want to get this pet peeve on the table. And pretty soon you're going to hate it, too. Listen. Let's assume, uh, and I've asked other candidates this kind of question, veto question. Let's flash forward. Your president, Bernie Sanders, is still active in the Senate. He manages to get Medicare for all through the Senate in some compromised version, the Elizabeth Warren version or, or other version. Nancy Pelosi gets a version of it through the House Representatives. It comes to your desk. Do you veto it? I would veto anything that delays providing the security and the certainty of health care being available now. 
If they got that through and by some miracle, and there was an epiphany that occurred, and some miracle occurred that said, okay, it's passed, then you got to look at the cost. I want to know, how did they find the $35 trillion? What is that doing? Is it going to significantly raise taxes on the middle class, which it will? What's going to happen? So my pet peeve is this. There's no way Bernie Sanders is going to get Medicare for all through the United States Senate. When Elizabeth Warren gravitated towards Medicare for all and announced her plan, the very plan that Lawrence O'Donnell says is a compromise from what Bernie Sanders actually wants, Elizabeth Warren destroyed her candidacy. No one wants Medicare for all. A majority of Democrats don't want Medicare for all. You've got a number of people who ran for president who are in the United States Senate, including um, uh, Michael Bennett and Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and uh, Kristen Gillibrand. Remember, she actually ran for the Senate. And I think there's there's one other person I'm missing in there, and, and I'm not including Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. There, there were a number of Democrats, senators, who ran for president of the United States, and all of them except for Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren opposed Medicare for all. Opposed Medicare for all. And yet, Lawrence O'Donnell has time with the former vice president of the United States, the Democratic nominee for president in 2020, and he wants to spend his time on hypotheticals that are never going to come to be. And I, I'm I'm increasingly infuriated with the media going down these rabbit holes of would you do X, Y, and Z when the underlying presupposition is about something that will never come to pass. Can you imagine an interview with the president of the United States? Mr. President, would you take over and declare martial law in the event of Martians landing in the middle of the Potomac? Would you, Mr. President, impose full quarantine on all Americans and not allow them out of their houses and, and take over the National Guards of the several states if the aliens invaded? That's not going to happen. Why waste your time on that question? I have no idea, and yet there we go. That's what the media does. And it, you you watch for this. Listen to this. And it's not just, it is not just the Democrats who do it. It is not just on MSNBC. It is increasingly on both sides of the aisle. They ask these questions that are premised on hypotheticals that will never come to be. And it drives me insane. It, it really drives me insane. Uh, and, and I just, I, I, I saw that and, and why are Democrats permitting questions on Medicare for all passing when Medicare for all couldn't even pass in the democratic primaries? And of course the Republicans do this as well. I mean, right now, by the way, Chuck Grassley is signaling that the president's payroll tax cut is not going to happen. Uh, and that is causing markets to, to become even more despondent. The Dow Jones industrial average continues to tank as do the NASDAQ and the S and P. Now, when we come back full warning, full warning, full affair warning, we do have to talk about the coronavirus. Some news just happened in the last half hour. You need to know about. The third hour. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. Greetings. And if you want to call in, you are permitted. The full number is 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. You know, you can follow me all over the series of tubes known as the internet. Uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on uh, Instagram is the best. Because on Instagram, it's not even political. It's, it's family and 
and cooking and, and all the normal stuff of life, not politics. I'm, I'm trying to do a better job of putting politics in proper perspective and in, in the proper orbit. It shouldn't be all consuming for any of us, and it increasingly is. I'm trying to do a better job. So you, if you'll like me best on Instagram at E.W. Erickson, and remember... So if you're just tuning in, I made the the unfortunate non-mistake of saying Tuberville, Goober Tuberville, instead of Tuberville for Tommy Tuberville, the former coach at Auburn. Oh, Auburn. Oh, precious Auburn. Uh, <laughs> and people lit up the phone. You're mispronouncing God's name. Um, no, no, uh, we're, we're going with Tuberville. We'll soon be calling him Senator, I suspect, because of the polling in, in, in Alabama against Jeff Sessions. The president just endorsed him, and uh, he's never clearly seen the video of, of Tuberville, Tuberville blasting the president for a host of ills. But nonetheless, um, people all upset about it, all, all upset. Um, put it in the proper orbit, people. Put it in the proper sphere. Let it go. Not Elsa. Man, that movie. Let just 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 let's let's move on to other things. And now I didn't want to talk about it. in fact I have on my list of things to talk about at this moment, artificial sweetener Splenda apparently is making people fat according to new research. And I will get there. But this just happened. Uh, a couple of things just happened. We do need to deal with some breaking news right now. Uh, Harvey Weinstein sentenced to 23. Is that right, Wall Street Journal breaking news? Alert? Yes, 23 years in prison. 23 years in prison. But this is actually the big thing. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci before the United States House of Representatives offering some testimony, and we need to hear what he has is to the, say. Is the worst yet to come, Dr. Fauci? Yes, it is. Can you elaborate? Well, whenever you have an outbreak that you can start seeing community spread, which means by definition that you don't know what the index case is and the way you can approach it is by contact tracing. When you have enough of that, then it becomes a situation where you're not gonna be able to effectively and efficiently contain it. Whenever you look at the history of outbreaks, what you see now in an uncontained way, and although we are containing it in some respects, we keep getting people coming in from the country that are travel-related. We've seen that in many of the states that are now involved. And then when you get community spread, it makes the challenge much greater. So I can say we will see more cases and things will get worse than they are right now. How much worse we'll get will depend on our ability to do two things, to contain the influx of in people who are infected coming from the outside and the ability to contain and mitigate within our own country. Bottom line, it's going to get worse. Well, bottom line, Mr. Fauci, uh, if we don't test people, then we don't know how many people are infected. Is that correct? That is correct. And as I'm sure that Dr. Redfield will tell you, as the looking forward right now, as commercial uh, entities get involved in making a large amount of tests getting variable, when you do two aspects of testing. One, a person comes in to a physician and asks for a test because they have symptoms or a circumstance which suggests they may be infected. The other way to do testing is to do surveillance, where you go out into the community and not wait for someone to come in and ask for a test, but you actively pro get, proactively get a test. 
We are pushing for that. And as Bob, will, Dr. Redfield will tell you, that the CDC has already started that in six sentinel cities and will expand that in many more cities. But you're absolutely correct. We need to know how many people, to the best of ability, are infected, as we say, under the radar screen. That's one of the concerns that that we should address right now, because I, I mentioned this yesterday and it needs to be reiterated. Uh, there had been, because of all the, the exposure and concern about the coronavirus in January and it spread around the world, uh, there was an uptick in Americans washing their hands and taking precautionary measures. And there has suddenly been in a couple of cities, but particularly New York City, a major spike in flu-like symptoms reporting to emergency rooms. And that suggests that the coronavirus is spreading within New York City. And people have concern. Uh, I two more clips you need to hear from Dr. Anthony, Anthony Fauci, and I want you to hear him instead of me talk about this issue because he is the expert. He is the guy that everybody from the president of the United States down to local party officials in, in Des Moines, Iowa, pay attention to. Okay, so that's a good question. About 80% of the people who get infected will do well. They'll get sick. They're going to be uncomfortable. They're not going to feel well but they're gonna spontaneously recover. About 15% of them, according to the data from China, Korea, et cetera, that those are individuals that are gonna get into trouble. And the mortality in that group is very high. But Sean, to, to make sure your, your, your viewers get an accurate idea about what goes on, you mentioned seasonal flu. The mortality for seasonal flu is 0.1. The mortality for this is about two, two and a half percent. It's probably lower than that, it's probably closer to one. But even if it's one, it's 10 times mm-hmm. more lethal than the seasonal flu. That That's relevant because the number of people who tell me it's, it's not a big deal and we're not gonna get it. Now for perspective, let, let us do keep this in perspective. There have been, in fact, if you text the word data to 33777, uh, you will, you'll get a link to the, the John, you'll also get a link to, um, to Jason Thacker's book. I interviewed him yesterday, but you'll get a link to the uh, Johns Hopkins University Research Center uh, dashboard. And right now, globally, let me refresh this to make sure I've got the most accurate number right now, 121,564 cases globally. In the United States, it's 1,050 cases. Now, here's what's notable about this. Yesterday, on this program, it was 700. The day before, it was 600. The day before, it was 500. Uh, when I started the show, it was 1,030. It's 1,050 here in the third hour of the program. 29 people dead. We now have one dead in New Jersey, one dead in South Dakota, two in Florida, two in California, and 23 in Washington. All of them are older, but we're learning from Italy. Get this. If you want to understand why so many of us are, are spending time on this and telling you it's worse than the flu, there are a lot of memes out there from conservatives downplaying this, saying it's just a media conspiracy to get the president's overhyped. Let, let me put this in perspective for you. In the last 10 days... There have been 9,000 new cases in Italy in the last 10 days, 9,000 cases, a a massive jump in just 10 days in Italy, 9,000 cases of those 9,000 cases, 5,000 of those people, the the total number, by the way, is 10,149 in Italy. But of those 9,000 cases that have cropped up in the last two weeks, 5,000 of those people have required hospitalization. 
And of the 5,000 who have, who have required hospitalization, 1,000 have required ICU. There are no more hospital beds in Italy because they were already dealing with the flu, just like we here in this country are dealing with the flu. Interestingly enough, Italy, a country of 60 million people, has more hospital beds than the United States, a country of 150 million people. Let me say that again. Italy, a country of 60 million people, has more hospital beds than the United States, a country of 150 million people. We already have a flu outbreak in this country. And so there aren't enough hospital beds already if this thing spreads. This is why so many people are, are talking about it. It's not to hurt the president. It's to contain the situation if we can. Uh, and I'm not sure whether or not we will contain the situation. And you know, you've got Dr. Anthony Fauci out there saying it's going to spread. Uh, the governor of, of Kentucky, uh, the newly elected governor of Kentucky, is uh, now asking churches to cancel church services to avoid the spread of the coronavirus. Now, Andy Bashar uh, said all state prisons are going to be closed to visitors, but they want churches to suspend church services. Now, the reason they want church services suspended is not because this is some sort of uh, godless Democrat who got elected. No, it's because there was a uh, conference uh, in Kentucky for Episcopal parishes in Louisville. Notice my pronunciation. It's not Louisville or Louisville. It's Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, at the Omni Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky, and a bunch of Episcopal priests are now getting uh, the coronavirus. It is beginning to spread within church communities. So they are asking people to please, uh, in Kentucky, not go to church. Now, churches are pushing back on this. You know, I, I got to, I, I, as an aside here, and... I want to be delicate because I don't want to offend the sensibilities of people listening right now. Bethel Church in California is a church that I think has long gone off the rails. People know Bethel for the music program, but the orthodoxy and theology of the church has long gone off the rails. This is the the church where one of the children of the pastor died and they did round-the-clock vigils for days of people coming to the church to pray for the resurrection of the child. Undoubtedly breaking the faith of many who the church said, if we just pray sincerely and honestly enough, this child will be will come back to us, and the child did not. Uh, by the way, the, the child is alive and well, uh, just with Jesus, not with us. And, and it, it, it's an abundant ending of theology. One of the things that Bethel Church is known for is it goes into hospitals and tries to do faith healings. And maybe I'm just too Baptist Presbyterian, but I'm not a big believer in faith healing. That is not to say prayer doesn't work. And that is not to say Jesus can't perform miracles. And that is not to say uh, faith healings are impossible. They are possible. I know people who, with no medical explanation, miraculously healed. I have talked to preachers who have been involved in praying for people with terminal cancer, and those people miraculously recovered when the doctor said they had months, if not weeks, to live. I, I, I know these things, and I don't want anybody to hear me dismissing the, the ability of, of the great physician, Christ himself, to be able to heal someone. But 
the run of the mill, we're going to go into hospitals and we're going to lay hands on people and they're going to be healed is a bunch of hooey and it is not theologically sound. And Bethel Church is a church that believes in that and goes into churches and lay hands on people and, and believes that it, that people are going to be healed by these things. You know, I, I will I will tell you funny funny story as an aside here. Uh, you, you know, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, uh, Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts did faith healings, and when my dad and his brother were young, my dad had a speech impediment, and my uncle Leif uh, was blind in one eye. And my grandmother, a Sioux Swedish, would send them to whenever Oral Roberts did did big events. She'd send them. And, and they lived in Coral Gables, Florida, in the outskirts of Miami. And they would get on stage, and, and my Uncle Leif, um, Oral Roberts would pray over him and, and say, Now, Leif, what color's my tie? Well, Uncle Leif was only blind in one eye. And so he'd say, Your, your tie's red, and, and he'd get the, the, the palm shove on the forehead, healed! And they'd drag him off stage, and... and my dad would get up there and, and what's your name? And, and my dad would say Oral Roberts' name. My dad had a speech impediment and he stuttered some, but he could say Oral Roberts and healed and, and grit him off stage. And, you know, Oral Roberts comes through next year. They're back on stage uh, do, doing healings. <laughs> this is kind of what Bethel Church does. And it's they've suspended their faith healing in hospitals so that their members don't get the coronavirus. Can, can they not be faithfully healed too? I just... Churches like this, I think, frankly, undermine the faith. Uh, and I'm, I, maybe I'm overly critical than I should, but I also find the stories very funny, but also very tragic. When you have a congregation praying around the dead body of a child uh, for God to bring resurrection to this child, and God has brought resurrection to that child, we just don't see it yet, uh, can do more harm than good with people. And when you're going into a hospital and you're claiming that you have the faith to heal someone who's deathly ill and that person doesn't get healed, I think it undermines the faith, uh, and and I don't think churches necessarily need to suspend. In fact, health experts are not saying churches need to suspend services. Um, people are starting to panic out there, and I understand, um, but I also think that people doing things like this just make the whole thing look silly, and they undermine faith overall. You know, I, I got to say, so I'm, I'm watching this stuff. Um, it, it's just, it, it's, it's interesting. The... Um, the media is playing they're, they're playing up the Anthony Fauci clip um, that this disease is is 10 times more fatal than the flu actually what he said was that's the best case scenario uh, for this this virus and by the way uh, someone sent, sent me an email saying well, why why are people saying disease instead of virus or or and you know there are actually are explanations for a lot of this stuff I'm, I'm one of the things is I, I'm amazed by how many people uh, immediately resort to conspiracy theory or, or conjecture about the media or media bias for some of these things no um, all illness is disease and there are subsets of disease cancer is a disease a virus is is a disease. The flu is a disease. It is a virus. Um, the cold, uh, you name it. They're, they're all diseases. Leprosy is a disease, but then there are subsets of disease. There is cancer. There is virus. So if you say this is a disease, you're accurate. Um, if you say it's a virus, you're accurate. If you say it's a bacteria, you're not accurate. If you say antibiotics can cure it, you're not accurate. If you say it's just like the flu or the common cold, you're not accurate. In fact, there, there's a horrific story, and, and where I get this number that... Um, Half of the people in Italy uh, who have the coronavirus have required hospitalization, uh, 5,000 of the 10,000, and then of them, about 1,000 have required um, the ICU. 
Uh, this is from a story that's in Sky News. It's a doctor who posted on his Facebook page saying he's really upset with people, saying that uh, this is no big deal. Go on and give me the virus. It, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not impactful. It's not going to harm me. It's no big deal. It's just like a common cold or it's just like the flu. That No, and in fact, he says that uh, he's seeing lots of young people who are having to be intubated because they're getting the virus, that it's not just old people. It's young people as well. And the goal here is where do you find the balance? Where, where do you strike the balance? Because you need people to understand this is more serious than the flu, but it's also not going to wipe everybody out. And now you've got Angela Merkel out there saying that 70% of Germany is probably going to get this. And that's, that's kind of the, that's, that's kind of the standard. Um, so I, I'm I'm I, I this is probably also a failure of the German state. I just I can't imagine that 70 percent of Germany are going to get it. And I, again, I mentioned earlier in the show, if you do straight line math, I guess you can see it uh, that the straight line math will lead you to say there are going to be a million cases in the United States. And we all know that in China, there probably were a million cases. They, they but uh, they rigged their numbers, so to speak. I, I'm just not sure, though, that we're going to get there with straight line math. I will tell you this. Uh, the more I hear things like this, it, it just it, it, it just aggravates me. This is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And, and listen to the biggest problem about the coronavirus. Honestly, it sounds almost so silly to say, but there's a lot of restaurants that are feeling the pain of racism, uh, where people are literally not patroning Chinese restaurants. Um, wait, wait, did she just say patroning? She just said patroning. Not patroning Asian restaurants. Yeah, she did it again, patroning. Because of just straight up racism around the coronavirus. So, um, wait, wait. People aren't going to Chinese restaurants because of straight-up racism. That's the problem with coronavirus is people don't want their General So's chicken because of racism. General So's chicken is an American invention, by the way. So is the fortune cookie. They're not, they're, they're not, actually, they're not actually Chinese. Um, this is, now, listen, if people aren't going to Chinese restaurants because they're scared they're going to get the coronavirus from a Chinese restaurant, they are stupid. In the same way that some people don't want to drink the corona beer because they, they thought it was related. But actually, that was totally misrepresented by the media that wanted a sensational story. The actual reason people don't want to drink corona beer is because it sucks, uh, not because they might get a virus from it. I mean, any beer you've got to put fruit in to improve the taste of isn't worth drinking, by the way. Um Neither is Bud Light. I was kind of wishing that they would call this virus the Bud Light virus so people would just start. I, I would much prefer a Miller Light to a Bud Light, which just tastes disgusting. Uh, but nonetheless, I digress. Um, the, the whole thing is silly here. It, accusing people of racism. It, it's like the media now accusing people of racism for saying the Wuhan virus. You will notice I'm saying more and more uh, Wuhan virus because uh, I want to push back on the media idea that it's racist. And it's not racist. It's geographist, if it's anything. Ebola comes from a river in Africa. Uh, Zika comes from a forest in Uganda. Lyme disease comes from Lyme, Connecticut. The St. Louis encephalitis comes from St. Louis. I, I One guess where the West Nile virus comes from. Viruses are named after the geographic area from which they originate. They all have scientific names. They actually do have scientific names. But after the swine flu, the woke crowd and the pol and the, the pork industry got together and wanted the World Health Organization to stop doing that. And they succumbed to the woke industry and the, and the pork industry. My producer's texting me during the show. I just want people to know that. <laughs> 
I, I, I'm bad about checking text messages and I have friends who like to text me in real time during the show. And I, I've had to keep my, my, um, message app closed during the show, but there are a couple of friends who, uh, given who they are, or my relationship with them, their text messages get through anyway, and it can be distracting. I, I'm amazed at the people who want to offer real time commentary during the show. My, my mom occasionally does it and she's my mom. She's loud. But I got a lot of friends who do it as well, and, and I actually find it very funny. Um, it's just it, it it's funny uh, to to see some of the reactions, and, and occasionally I can feed off of it. But oftentimes it's just a distraction. Uh, I, I I really do want to get to this story, and largely because I just want to pat myself on the back. So um, it, there's a there's a place in Macon. Uh, they've changed their they were a CrossFit place, and now it's just it's a training facility, Tau Training Facility. Uh, if you live in Macon and, and you know where the 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 mall is on up on Riverside Drive, the new mall, the outdoor mall where where kids don't want to go because it's out in the open and they either get rained on or they get hot. It's a glorious design, by the way. Um, uh, just up the street from there, there's a place, Tau Training Facility, and, and I go at a time where you'll never encounter me, so I don't mind telling you about it. But the, the guy who runs the place, Stephen, is awesome. And I have been going, so, you know, three years ago, uh, almost four years ago now, I very nearly died. Um, I was actually, it, it, as all bad stories begin, I was in CrossFit at the time. And I just couldn't keep up and thought, my gosh, I'm old and I'm falling apart and I'm out of breath. And, and, and I mean, that was all true, but it really, that wasn't the problem. Uh, it was uh, blood clots in my lungs and I had no idea. And I went for three months with blood clots filling up my lungs, wound up in the ICU for a week. Uh, and then the hospital, I was there, I was hospitalized for about two weeks uh, total and have I still have clots in my lungs. And there's a debate as to whether they're new or they're old, but after three years, uh, all the doctors finally agreed I could start getting back into shape. And so I was going, I had a trainer who was awesome. And then I started doing two hours or two, two radio shows a day, five hours and his schedule and my schedule never lined up. And I was going to a CrossFit place in the mornings and then my schedule didn't line up with him. And so I found uh, Steven at this, this place, towel training facility and our schedules synced. And I've been going now since uh, the end of last year, I've lost 16 pounds. In fact, I ordered a suit right before Christmas and I've already got to get it adjusted because I've lost enough weight. Of course, you know, the way my mind works, my mind's like, oh man, maybe I have cancer or something. I'm losing this much weight. It can't be the exercise and the, and the protein shakes. It's got to be, I'm, I've got some incurable disease now and I'm losing weight. This is the way my mind works and I'm trying to come to terms with it. Why pray when I can worry? That's my motto. Nonetheless, uh, so I've been going to CrossFit three or four days a week. Y'all, I have parts of my body that I did not know existed. And the only reason I know they exist is because they hurt like hell now. I mean, it, it, yesterday, all I did was eight rounds of lunges and that exercise bike where the handles move back and forth that you got to push and ring rows where you lean back and you row with rings. And it was eight rounds of that. And my heart rate monitor, which I have to wear, uh, is maxing out. I'm dying, but it's actually progress, real progress. Um, so I, I, Stephen over there at, at the, the towel CrossFit bird, now it's towel training facility, a really, really, really worth it. Uh, a great guy. Uh, and he's, he's good with nutrition and stuff. And I've enjoyed going and I enjoy it more than standard exercising. But as I've been doing this stuff, one, I realized that yes, there are lots of jokes about CrossFit now. And I try not to bring up that. I do CrossFit because everybody in CrossFit wants you to know they do CrossFit. A, a CrossFitter, an atheist, and a vegan walk into a bar. We only know because they all ensured everyone knew. that that That's the standard joke. 
but it works, uh, and, and I've enjoyed it way more than, than normal gyms. Uh, but I, I'm amazed as I've gotten into this that I'm doing research on on weight loss and, and health and trying to get back in shape, how much science there is, and I'm using air quotes here, science there is, that turns out to be wrong over time. Remember back during the 80s when I was, when I was little, there was this big scare about eggs, or as my mother-in-law, who's from southern Illinois, would say, eggs. Apparently, eggs are terrible. They, they, they give you all sorts of cholesterol, and they're going to kill you, and on and on and on it goes. Well, it's not actually true. Uh, and, and over the years, that's been revised. Well, in the same way, uh, you've got the situation where you've got, um, for years, they've been telling you, you know, you need a, a low-fat diet and a high-carb diet, and now there's actually research that a high-protein diet works better for building muscle and helping you lose weight, but the whole thing is really about restricting calories, and you've got all the fads, the keto fad, the the, the Atkins diet, and, and all this other stuff, and everything goes up and everything changes. Uh, don't eat red meat, eat red meat. This goes back to what I was mentioning earlier with the swine flu. The reason that the World Health Organization is refusing to call the Wuhan virus the Wuhan virus now and instead going with COVID-19 is because when the swine flu broke out, the pork industry got really upset with it being called the swine flu and they knew they needed some rebranding and they knew they needed to fix this. And so they began lobbying the World Health Organization to not call it the swine flu. And then the woke groups got in, and the woke groups decided that they, too, uh, needed to make sure that we were calling it something else. Um, It is the, let's see, so we've got the H1N1, uh, H1N2, H2N1, H3N1, H3N2, H2N3, and and the SOIV swine origin influenza virus, but uh, they're upset, they were upset about it because of the 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 name of it and what it was doing people didn't want to eat meat and then the woke crowd got in and decided well we're stigmatizing people by doing names based on these people so they don't want to call it Ebola anymore, except it's already in the in the vernacular. So they, they essentially what they're now referring to it as is viral hemorrhagic fever. Viral hemorrhagic fever is also known as the Ebola virus. Now, where is the Ebola virus? Well, the Ebola virus comes from a river in Africa just like the Zika comes from the forest in Uganda where it originated and the West Nile comes from, well, guess. Uh, Well, all this political correctness gets in there, but all all this goes back to science gets stuff wrong and there's political correctness in science now and people are concerned about the only thing that science seems to be consistent on over the last 40 years now is that the less processed foods you eat, the better. So you, if you shop, everyone, dietitians, nutritionists, and scientists alike will tell you, shop the outer, outer aisles of your grocery store where you have your, your deli and your juices and, and your produce, and then you've got your, your dairy. And if you need to get, get the unbleached flour, you know, listen, King Arthur unbleached flour, if you're a baker, that is the gold standard. Um, but just avoid the, the processed frozen foods, avoid the processed uh, foods full of preservatives, well, one of the things over the years is the sweeteners. And, you know, I know Donald Rumsfeld. 
Uh, I wouldn't say we're friends. We are friendly. And you don't ever want to question sweet and low um, aspartame because, you know, it was the company. What company was it? Now, I can't remember, but he was in charge of it. And if you question the health benefits of that sweetener, you will get or was it NutraSweet? I can't remember. Anyway, whichever sweetener it was that his company came up with, you will get a memo. I have gotten the memo about how it is perfectly safe. But there have been over time a lot of nutritionists and scientists saying, you know, it does seem that some of this stuff spikes blood sugar. Well, now the the journal Cell Metabolism has come out with a study by Yale researchers that has discovered sucralose, which is Splenda. Splenda, when you put it with carbohydrates swiftly turns a healthy person into a fat person because it causes massive spikes in blood sugar. From whole grain English muffins to reduced sugar ketchup, Splenda is found in thousands of baked goods, condiment syrups, and other consumer packaged goods, almost all of them containing carbs, and the findings suggest it causes a spike in blood sugar, which also then will cause uh, fat deposits to grow. In a Yale study, researchers took 60 healthy weight individuals and separated them into three groups. A group that consumed a regular-sized beverage containing the equivalent of two packets of sucrose sweetener, that, or sucralose sweetener, that's Splenda. A second group that consumed a beverage sweetened with table sugar at the equivalent sweetness. And a third group that had a beverage with artificial sweeteners as well as a carbohydrate called maltodextrin. The molecules of maltodextrin don't bind to taste receptors in the mouth and are impossible to detect. While the sensation of the third group's beverage was identical to the Splenda-only group, only the Splenda-only group exhibited significant adverse health effects. The artificial sweetener by itself seemed to be fine, the researchers discovered, but that changed when combined with a carbohydrate. Seven beverages over two weeks, and the previously healthy people in that group became glucose intolerant, a metabolic condition that results in elevated blood glucose levels and puts people in an increased risk for diabetes. The findings followed a study by the Journal of the American Medical Association Internal Medicine last year that found that consumption of two or more glasses of artificially sweetened soft drinks a day increases deaths from circulatory diseases. And a 2008 study by scientists at Purdue University found that artificial sweeteners alone could result in higher blood pressure, weight gain, increased risk of diabetes, stroke, and heart disease in rats. Now, the scientists in that Purdue study fed yogurt sweetened with glucose, which is a simple sugar, to a group of table rats, or a group of table rats, a group of rats. The second group got yogurt sweetened with zero-calorie saccharin. This group consumed more calories, gained more weight, put on more body fat, and didn't make up for it by cutting back later. The researchers developed the uncoupling hypothesis, theorizing the disconnecting sweet taste from calories resulted in an impaired ability to use sweet taste to guide how much to eat as the perception of satiation. Now, I don't mean to bore you by reading all of this stuff, but uh, the point is this. There has been a growing body of research over the last couple of decades that artificial sweeteners actually have something to do with the obesity crisis, and all the people who have switched from regular Coke to Diet Coke may actually doing themselves more harm. As a matter of fact, I've got a friend of mine who is a very good nutritionist, as is his wife. And they won't drink artificially sweetened uh, products. They won't drink diet drinks. Uh, they, they drink Dr. Pepper and they drink Coke. And they do it in moderation and they won't drink the other stuff because they say while there are less calories in the diet Coke, uh, that it results in their blood sugar spiking differently and, and insulin levels messing up. Now, I say all of this to say 
that there is a lot of research in science that bounces back and forth, whether it's eat eggs or don't eat eggs, uh, eat red meat, don't eat red meat, increase chicken, don't eat, increase chicken, eat the carbs, don't eat the carbs, eat the protein, don't eat the protein, eat the fat, don't eat the fat. You know, there's more and more evidence out there that eating, eating fat uh, doesn't actually result in obesity. But there's also more and more evidence showing that these artificial sweeteners uh, increase, uh, cause spikes in blood sugar that actually ca- contribute to obesity uh, when people are drinking them to lose weight. And part of the problem as well is that people uh, think that they can drink a bunch of them since they only have one calorie in them, and that causes problems. Now, I, I'm doing this for a reason. A lot of people who are listening are probably deeply skeptical of all the science they're hearing about the the coronavirus, about the Wuhan virus. Can we say it? Yes, we can. And a lot of this has to do with these sorts of things. A lot of this has to do with, uh, for example, let's just go back two weeks. There was a study that came out. It was much hyped. I actually do believe I avoided talking about it at the time, but I've brought it up since that uh, a third of the public is less likely to drink Corona beer because of the virus, because it's called the coronavirus. CNN ran that story, and it was not alone. Others did as well. And that's not actually what the research said. What the research actually said is that people don't drink it because it sucks. That was what the actual research said. Uh, that when compared to other beers, people don't like it. They put lime in it to improve the taste, and and that's why they drink it, because it has the lime in it. And you wouldn't know that from the way the media covered it. And so I can't blame people for being skeptical of media coverage of these studies, and these studies sometimes get retracted, and this is only one study, uh, and it conflicts with a bunch of other news reports out there, and, and so people become increasingly skeptical of everything. And I can't blame anyone for being skeptical of it. I can't blame anyone for listening to the media talk about this disease and think this is designed to get Trump because that's what the media does. And I, I spend an inordinate amount of time feeling like I got to use this show to clean up the messes that other people create and, and disabuse you of notions gathered from other places. You know, interestingly enough, you, you know how the media hates Tucker Carlson? The media absolutely positively loathes Tucker Carlson. And, and they at every opportunity, uh, they beat up Tucker Carlson if they can for his Fox News show. Tucker has actually been one of the most reasonable voices about the extent of this virus and the things you need to do to take yourself um, to keep yourself safe. And the media is beside themselves that, oh my gosh, this guy is reasonable because they, they've built a stereotype into what is true and what isn't and who is good and, and who isn't, and it's rocked their world. Sometimes you just got to go with the flow of the news. And sometimes there is no conspiracy. Yes, people are stupid. We should all acknowledge people are stupid. But sometimes, you know, the news is not out to get the president. They actually are just out to give you the facts. I know increasingly rare these days, it seems like they don't want to cover a story unless it's about the president or they can make the president look bad. But, you know, distinguishing between fake news and real news and and learning what's real and what's not and what actually matters and what doesn't, I spend more of my time doing this. And it's another reason I got to go to the gym every day is just to de-stress. The gym has become my private sanctuary where I can go hang out with my trainer and, and there's no one else around and I can just vent about stuff. And it's great because he's not political, so he has no idea what I'm talking about anyway. And man, everybody needs an outlet. I guess mine has become going to CrossFit, but we get so spun up about this stuff and so much of this stuff actually doesn't matter and so much of it's going to get revised. So much of it is wrong as reported. 
And I just want to tell you what's true and what's not and what's real and, and what's fake. And, and man, you should see my hate mail for doing it. All right. I, I got to play this. I, I, I've saved this for the end because you knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. We all knew it was going to happen. And it is happening now. This is a great montage because, you know, all of the things that the Democrats have wanted for years, suddenly now this virus means we have to have them. As the coronavirus is rapidly spreading across the U.S., Trump Republicans are trying to dismantle Obamacare in court and leave 20 million people uninsured. Perfect. Well, this is a case for universal health care. This is I'm right. This, this if, there, my, if there's coronavirus, universal health care would is, solve a very, lot of it. This is an opportunity for us to, to come to grips with the fact that we absolutely have to transform our health care system. What do you say to people who are asked I'm to sure some of them don't. who don't have paid sick leave and frankly cannot afford to stay home for those two weeks without a paycheck and might be worried about losing their jobs. I think the government should step in. That would be the most logical choice. For 40 years, we have been shredding the social safety net. Mm. That's a debate we should be having. Ideally, what we have is a person who believes in universal health care and paid sick leave. If we were living in the system we want to live in, that I want to see, of course everybody would have paid medical leave. You know, at a bare minimum, we need federal paid sick leave. This is why we will perhaps, hopefully not, have more people infected because more people will go to work right, because, because they, they can't afford not. Because they can't afford, so they here's pay my one. So what we should be talking about right now are things like paid sick leave. What they do need is paid sick leave. Uh, we don't have paid sick leave in this country. The rest of the developed world has universal health care and paid sick leave. We don't have that. So expanding health care in a crisis like this, not just the humane and right thing to do, but it becomes a question of national security. That's right, my friends. Never, ever let a crisis go to waste. Ne never let a crisis go to waste. These people are trying to use a virus sweeping through the country as a way to get Medicare for all, which even the Democratic voters just rejected. Uh, they're, they're trying to get expansive government benefits for paid family leave and things like that. By the way, the president just gave federal employees paid family leave. And now, interestingly enough, what the president wants to do is give tax breaks to companies and individuals. The payroll tax is the most meaningful tax break you can give to someone in the middle class or lower on the economic scale because it, it, it directly benefits their amount of take-home pay. And the Democrats are not supportive of it. In fact, Chuck Grassley who's the head of the Senate Finance Committee, has come out and said that he's not even going to consider it right now. It can be considered later, but there's no bipartisan support for it. And because there's no bipartisan support, he sees no reason to actually uh, go down the hole of, of figuring out whether or not uh, it's worth doing. And that's unfortunate because it actually we clearly need economic stimulus. It is... 11.57 on the nose this morning, if you need to set your clock. And the Dow is down uh, 1,067 points. The NASDAQ is down 299 points. The S&P 500 is down 110 points. We're, we're moving into bear market territory. And by bear market territory, essentially what I mean is they, they've erased all the gain. All the gains in the last few years of the stock market are being wiped out right now. The Dow had been up to what? Um, it, it, several thousand points more than it is right now. It's at 23,951, which is still fantastic. I remember all the hubbub over, will the Dow cross 20,000? Well, it did. And it crossed 25,000 and, and what, it got up to 28,000, I think, and now it's down to 23,951 today. 
kind of a big deal. Apple stock down uh, again across the board. Everything is down. And the democratic solution is more government and more spending. At some point, you know, deficits and debt do matter. And I, I would say as much as I believe in small government and as much as I believe we need fiscal restraint, I am rapidly moving into the corner of we have got to stop a major economic recession right now. And if the government does need to spend more money right now to buy and not necessarily spend more money, at least allow us to save money and not give it to the government, I'm kind of okay with that at this point. We we need to do something. And frankly, I do wonder if the Democrats have an incentive to not help the president resuscitate the economy because they know an economic downturn helps them. Are the Democrats being given an opportunity to undermine the economy and block the president's stimulus package in order to benefit themselves in November? It's a question that should be asked, and I'm sure the Democrats will scream loudly when you ask it.